This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We're going to start this week on one heck of a high note. I don't know if we'll be able to hit this note again. We get to talk with a guy who can just just about hit any note that there is out there. Greg Morton joins us in studio, fresh off an incredible run on America's Got Talent. I mean, it's one thing to watch the show and and see what goes on, because to know what people can do uh, blows your mind. And to be just a couple of feet away from someone <laughs> who is able not just to do it, but to get what he needs to to move on, and then to get what he needs to to move on again and again. Greg, congratulations. Oh, thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. We get to go through so much of what you were able to do on that show. You wowed everybody in North America. And I'm sure this show is seen around the world, too. I mean, it is, actually. Yeah. How many millions of eyeballs are there? Uh, well, just for the shows that are aired in, in, uh, in uh, the United States, 55 million. It was the count, yeah. And then worldwide, I couldn't tell you because a lot of people watched on Netflix in different countries. Like, for example, I was, in, uh, I was on my way to Dubai. Uh, part way through after I'd done the first show and uh, I stopped at Heathrow. I thought, oh, I'll go in and get something to eat. And the waiter recognizes me. <laughs> hey, I haven't I seen you. I saw you on America's Got Talent. Yeah, yeah I saw it. Yeah. I go like, what? How did you see it over here? Said, oh, we got Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And I guess you're going to get that a little bit more from now on. I mean, oh, it's insane. What you've yeah. had. I can't wait to see what happens now because your career takes us back to days with Alf. I mean, you did stuff on Alf. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I was, loved Alf. Yeah, I was uh, working. What was uh, uh, Alf's little buddy? I can't remember his name. The little now. red-haired guy? Yeah. He was, I uh, wish he was I a, could remember, too. No, no, not the human being. The little, um, <laughs> in, in the, oh, gosh, I can't even remember now. Well, it, was a, it was a long time ago. <laughs> Hang on. Let me think for a minute. Um, 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 um. Um, anyway, but, uh, that was the animated show. I, I had oh, a history yeah, okay. all before this to where I did voices for animation Yeah, back in the late eighties and early nineties. My first cartoon that I worked on was uh, hello kitty. And I get it. I did a voice for a dog. His name was uh, grinder. And he sounded like this. Hey, hi, Ria. hello kitty. <laughs> so when you would go to audition for something like that, would you prepare Two or three voices? Would you go with one and say, this is going to be me? I only get this one shot. Here I go. No, How do you no, do it? No, what they do is they, they give you an idea of what they want, and they show you a picture. And you go off the picture. You kind of look at the looks of them, and you kind of get a feel for it, and you, you, you play around a little bit. And they, they let you fool around a bit you know, with it. This time they wanted sort of a Fred Gwynn sound. I don't know if ever, anybody remembers Fred Gwynn, but he was the actor who played on uh, Car 54, and he was also... Herman Munster. Everybody remembers Herman Munster. And he, and so the, he was uh, kind of like this. They wanted this, oh, 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 that Fred Gwynn used to do when he got excited, right? <laughs> so I said, oh, well, I can do that. I can throw that in. And I'm a huge fan of those shows. I remember that when I was a kid. And I nailed it. And I ended up getting that. And then that year, at the end of that run, they go like, hey, Greg, how would you like to direct what, what? Are you kidding me? Of course I'd like to direct. I mean, <laughs> what actor doesn't want to direct? So um, I ended up directing cartoon shows like uh, Cobbs and Hammerman and uh, Super Mario Brothers and 
Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and still doing voice at the same time. I did voiceovers for uh, Police Academy, the cartoon, and uh, Stunt Dogs, and a lot of other different shows. So how many hours a day were you talking? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we, we had like about maybe two to three days that we would record and we would get everything done. Um, usually we'd, we'd be working the whole summer, you know. And then at the end of that, all of that stuff, recorded stuff goes down to L.A. And then they start breaking it down. And then the animators get at it. And then they start uh, putting the movements to it. And that's how it goes. So I can't imagine being in school with you when you were young. Because recess, you you just would have taken care of it. Well, yeah. It's, it's just like what, it, what happened on the show. I would entertain the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's amazing to have you with us. We're going to be able to talk about America's Got Talent and what happened there. And and your career, again, is going to be one to follow. It has been already, but it's going to be one to follow from now on. But let's let's kind of look at America's Got Talent because you get a unique look at it. You yeah. get the behind the scenes as behind the scenes as it gets. How does one even get to go on America's Got Talent when you are born in Canada? <laughs> well, uh, very fortunate for me. Uh, they have scouts, and they scour the Internet. And if you have something viral on the Internet, you're going to stand out. And that means more viewers for them. It means that it they, it's already a success. But more people need to see it, and that's the best way to do it is to throw it on that show. So and if you look at a lot of the other contestants, they already have viral videos. Well, I just happen to have one. I did a Dry Bar comedy special. Now, Dry Bar is a, a show that's uh, it's recorded in, uh, in uh, Utah. And they had this idea where wouldn't it be great if we had all clean, family-friendly content? And they started taking all of the uh, cuss words out of movies and things like that. And then Hollywood went, uh, no, <laughs> you cannot touch our properties. And they said, well, what if we produce our own content? So they, just, they started with stand-up comedy, which is really great, easy. You just get a bunch of clean comedians and you give them their own 40 to 45-minute uh, special. And then away you go. And you put it on the Internet. And they would advertise it by putting on these clips to advertise it. And my clips were going viral, especially my Star Wars, which is about – somebody told me it was over 4 million on, on uh, Facebook after about the first week, week and a half. And uh, that's how I got seen. So I was approached last November. And, uh, for First, I got an email. It says, would you like to be on Britain's Got Talent? And I thought, oh, well, that's interesting if my, you know, if my career is going to go in that direction. Then immediately following that, about a week later, I got another email from America's Got Talent saying that they were interested. Unfortunately, I couldn't do both. But <laughs> I ended up going with the America's Got Talent. They do a story meeting. They interview you. They talk about what your story is and what it's going to be and uh, what you plan on doing. And uh, the next thing you know, you're on the show. And you debuted with your Star Wars yeah, and blew everybody away. I mean, how many voices have you ever – you probably have because you have to. Have you ever stopped to count how many you pack in to Star Wars? How many different voices? I, uh, let me see. <laughs> Join me, Luke. <laughs> yes, go ahead, young Skywalker. Join me on that. <laughs> do or do not. There is no try. Yeah. 
it's a trap. <laughs> ah, there's, a, there's a good five. I could say about seven voices in there, <laughs> plus sound effects, right? That is amazing. solo, Plus, there's some I haven't even, I didn't even do. That's amazing. Uh, well, oh. that's that's kind of how you blew them away. You got every judge to go, yeah, we, we got to see more <laughs> of Greg Morton. <laughs> Standing on that stage, seeing that approval from a guy like Howie Mandel. Uh-huh. What was that like? Oh, uh, it was great. It was great. I, I, I was really uh, overtaken with emotion. I couldn't believe it. You know, when you watch the Olympics and they train so hard and then you finish, they finish and they've skated a perfect routine and they, they just break down and they start sobbing. Well, that is exactly what I went through. It was just like that. And then, and everyone will, will have to take some time to really picture this because when you are an actor, when you are a stand-up comedian, you can ask them. I mean, so much time goes into creating what you do and that particular routine or whatever it is that you are auditioning for. Right. And it's it's that piece and you, you've got that piece and you perfect that piece and you go through it and then – what do they ask you? What else do you have? Yeah. What, what can you do next week? Basically, that's what they did. They went, you know, <laughs> hey, have you got five more of those? So <laughs> I go, like, God, no. <laughs> well, I did. I had ones that were similar. I had Lord of the Rings, and I really wanted to do that as a whole piece. Now, that and one they, we didn't see. No, no. No. Uh, well, I, I got to throw in a couple of lines. Like, okay. You know, like, oh, oh my precious. You know, it was just, I have all those different voices in there. I, I, I've been doing Lord of the Rings for quite a number of years, like oh, I'd man, say at least amazing. 10 years. But they said, well, there's a thing called copyright. And uh, it, it it's a whole property that Lord of the Rings. They would have to get permission, and you know when you're doing with dealing with NBC, it's NBC Universal. Now anything that's in that universe uh, or that family is okay. They could get rights like that, you know, the next second. But these other things sometimes they would cost as much as seventeen thousand dollars to get the rights. Whoa. Yeah, even to certain songs, it's difficult to get uh, the rights to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. the stuff that we don't necessarily realize. So you yeah. may have all the greatest ideas in the world. They may love those ideas, but permission becomes the last giant hurdle. Yeah. So what do you do then? Well, then you uh, you come up with something else. What else do you have? <laughs> Always back to that question. What? And when we got to the live shows, I only had a week to prepare. Okay. So, so let's let's take a, a second yeah. to appreciate that. Okay. So you have a week to prepare yeah. And and what do they want you to prepare to do? Literally, uh, literally ten days to prepare two minutes. Okay. Yeah. Now a song or a routine or in, yeah, in my case a uh, a um, a group of uh, impressions, whatever it is, and you have to come up with that and uh, figure out what what you're going to do.
In studio with us, Greg Morton. Greg's actually going to be at the Wolf Performance Hall on October the 8th, so you can see him in person doing all the things that he does so well, but we're lucky enough to have him doing those things with us right now. As we talk about the run on America's Got Talent and the idea that they would fly you in and you'd be set for some live shows, wouldn't necessarily know what would happen, but it wasn't just the live shows. Let's face it, when we start watching and, and we get the backstory on all of the performers, right. you get backstories. You don't stop to think, you know, those, those backstories have to be created. This is, you know, you don't right. walk around with a video saying, Oh, you need my backstory. Just a second. Here's me when I was 10 and here's all the footage from that. And just, uh, you had to create stuff. Exactly. Like, uh, sometimes that, well, they'll look at what you do. So if you're a singer, they might take you to Capitol Records. Okay. You know, and then you get to see all of that history. And then they put you in a sound studio. And then they record some things. And and it's, it's just fabulous. It's just so much fun. Especially when it's related to what you do, yeah. you know. Uh, for example, for me, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I told them that I used to entertain the kids on the bus. That's how I kept from get, getting bullied. I got get people to like me that way. So they go, okay, well, we're going to throw a bunch of kids on the bus and <laughs> – you know, a lot of them were nieces and nephews, and uh, and uh, they're sitting on the bus, and uh, and uh, we just drove around in circles in this church parking lot. <laughs> well, well, you're not going to, you know, you can't go out on the highway. Yeah. No, they'll lose sight of you. It's L.A. We'd be standing still anyway. We wouldn't be moving, right? So, so we had, we just shot that all morning, and it was like oh ninety. I think it was 98 degrees that day. How hot was it in the bus? Oh, well, much, much hotter. <laughs> and with lighting, even hotter than oh, that, man. right? Oh, yeah. It was great. But you get a great backstory out of it. At one point, mm-hmm. you decide to do a Howie Mandel voice. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? That That's something that, that's got to be, should I do this? <laughs> should I not do this? Is this a good idea? Is it no, not a good idea? No, we. I always thought it would be a good idea, and they did too. They thought it would be great, and they thought Howie would love it. And he didn't know it was coming? He had no idea. That's the one thing on the show I love is that they never see any of the acts. They're always just as surprised as the audience is that, because you can't fake it. Let's face it. You can't, you know, you can't fake that sort of thing. It really yeah. does come through. Yeah. And, uh, my little Bobby. But I always had that voice. I had that in my repertoire. You okay. Know? Back yeah. from when he used to do it, back when, when he, he was blowing yeah, up yeah. I rubber was a, gloves and well, things. You got to remember, I was a huge Howie Mandel fan. Yeah. He was one of the first comics that I saw when I was in college. We went to, um, on a, a field trip. Uh, to Toronto, and we went to Yuck Yucks. He was one of the guys on the show. Came out, he did this crazy, wild character. I forget what the name of the character was. Uh, chicken something. Chicken head or chicken face. I forget what it was. Just a wild character. People were laughing hysterically. And that was kind of when I kind of got the uh, the stand-up bug. I'd always done a little bit of stand-up in high school, but I never knew you could make a living at it. And then... Uh, Eventually, uh, the real catalyst was here in London where I went and I did the So You Think You're Funny contest for FM 96. And I won that. And that was really my true uh, start into show business here. And I used to work at another comedy club on – it was called Roy and Jane's. It was a a steakhouse right across the the street from the the theater. Okay. 
and a very small room, you know, uh, Ken Savage, he was the, the manager. He used to run it. And, uh, we had such a great time. That's where I learned a lot of stuff about comedy. Yeah. Yeah. When you step on the stage as a stand-up comedian, it's, it's just you. Yeah. How do you overcome getting those laughs? Or for you, did they just come? Or, or the, hey, you were able to do these voices and you could see the wow in the audience. Did, did that come instantly? Or did you have to go through some times where you say, ah, I gotta go back to the drawing board on this one? Um, no, uh, I have had so many years of experience. I mean, 35 years of experience. Um, more if you count, you know, the, the time that I put in beforehand as an animator because I used to do voices for uh, my fellow students' films. But some things you just know that work. A lot of it's just confidence. Mm-hmm. And I've always had that stage presence. I mean, I've always been on stage, you know, even when I was a mobile disc jockey. I had to be on stage and speak in front of people. And that just from repetition and doing it over and over again, you get comfortable. We're talking with Greg Morton. In studio, we're talking about his time on America's Got Talent and a whole bunch of other stuff. If if you were watching America's Got Talent very closely, very closely, you may have heard a Lion King start at one point, which, of course, was you. And, and was that somebody just saying to you, all right, let me see, you can do Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, uh, let's see, uh, can you do Lion King? Yeah, yeah, literally it was. We were in a meeting, and they, we have pitch meetings, right? What's your, next, what's your idea for what you're going to do for the next thing? And I said, well, I'd like to do movies. You know, I'd like to, and they go like, well, what could you do? Well, I said, well, I've got this, I've got that. And they said, can you do the Lion King? And I just blurted out with that. And they go like, oh, you got to do that. You got to do the Lion King. So I threw all of my favorites in there. I did a little tribute to Jim Carrey. I did the mask, you know. Did you mess me? I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much fun. The Alien, which is one of my favorite movies. The <laughs> All those hydraulic sounds that with the tail whipping around. Oh, that's just great, man. What are we going to do now, man? (laughs) Game over, man. Game over. (laughs) It is one thing to do voices. You do sound effects so well. When did you realize that was even a thing that the human mouth or human vocal cord range could do? I I, I just automatically did it. My mom said that. When I was a little kid, I used to sit in front of the TV watching cartoons, and I would try to mimic those sounds. And I just kept doing it. So it's always been there. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Yeah. Which probably goes a long way to explain why you are so good at it. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, it, it, I, I, I think whatever you are, you're good at, start right away. Yeah. Don't waste your time. <laughs> that school business that they're talking about, like, what, nobody looks at that that. Right, the the uh, what do they give you a certificate? Nobody yeah, looks yeah. at that thing. Yeah, I don't right? know where any of mine are. Do you know where any no. of yours are? I know they're in a, a Tupperware container somewhere. <laughs> They'll be safe in a flood, right? But <laughs> that's it. But no one has ever asked me for that stupid certificate no. ever. No. Once you get that first job, you're good as gold anyway. Yeah. I'd say attack whatever you is in front of you. Just go at it. Go for it. Now, I would say if um, if you wanted to really get on the show. You've got to really wow them, especially if you're a singer. If you're going up against Simon Cowell, he's heard it all. He hates backing tracks. He hates 
karaoke tracks. You know, you notice that uh, they're so poorly produced. That's one thing. You know, I, they, they they need to be embellished with some, you know, some backup of some sort. But uh, and you really have to wow them emotionally too, and it, it, with your story as well. It's yeah. kind of nice to have that story to go with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations on everything you've done to this point. And again, like we said off the start, can't wait to see what comes next. For a lot of people, you can ask them, what is the ultimate dream? But yours could go in so many directions. Have you lived an ultimate dream? Do you still have one that you'd ultimately love to do? Or maybe you'll know it when someone says it to you? I'm always making new goals. But right now, this I would love to have a kid's show. I, the power of the show has really taught me one thing, is, and that is kids love me. They really, really like me. I, was, uh, I got to do this Star Wars thing. Uh, it was in Houston, Texas. for a, It was a halftime show for their soccer team, and it was Star Wars Day. So I came out wearing my Star Wars suit. I was flanked by all these Star Wars characters, and I did my Star Wars routine. After I got finished and I walked out... And these kids just gravitated me to me. And this little girl, she came out. She was like about three or four years old. And she wrapped her arms around my legs. And she wouldn't let me go because she wanted to get a picture with me. It was so funny. It was great. Hey, that's amazing. Well, Greg, thank you for sharing some time with us. And I hope you come back sometime in the future and uh, we can listen to more voices. Oh, I'd love that. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. If you've been to Potahawk, I want you to picture it for a second, okay? And I want you to picture Potahawk Island. How about picturing Turkey Point now? Well, that's far away. Yeah. Now, picture swimming from Potahawk Island to Turkey Point and then over to Port Dover. That is what Daniel Zinn did on the weekend in the Lake Erie Challenge. And he did it, of course, to get us talking about some of the nasty things going on in Lake Erie and to see if he could. Well, he did. 26.6 kilometers. And Daniel joins us again on London Live. Daniel, congratulations. We knew you could do it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Did you know you could do it? Uh, I had my wavering uh, points of confidence and, and self-doubt uh, leading up to it. But once I got on the water, there's there's nothing stopping me. So, when we last left our conversation, there was some thought that this would begin sometime after midnight on Saturday, because the weather wasn't exactly picture-perfect. We're not talking about nice, glassy conditions on Lake Erie on Saturday. So, when did you actually decide to get into the water? Um, We made the decision uh, after everyone got back from work, uh, looking at the forecast models, and said, you know what, if we're going to increase the best probability for success it's got to be in this time frame and so it's around four or five o'clock that evening when we decided to all meet at the marina in port rowan um by 11 o'clock and then i was swimming by 12 41 a.m so hang on you did 26.6 k it doesn't sound like you had i don't know a restful night's sleep somewhere in there you didn't no i was up at uh 6 a.m that day um to get my day started for work and everything and I just swam through the night, and <laughs> I think it was all adrenaline that got me through it. And, and, and more, well, actually, it wasn't just adrenaline. It was definitely the support of my my team. They were amazing. That's phenomenal. 26.6K. So how long did the swim actually take you? Uh, nine hours and 50 minutes. Whew. So that's a, more than a 24-hour day you put in. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a really strong current that we're battling through over the night. Um, that was kind of throwing me around, but it did smooth out as I got closer to Dover, but it was definitely rough at some points. How difficult was it for your support crew to stay nearby? It was really hard. So my kayaker, he paddled the whole time just because of the current, um, and he was constantly trying, because he's my sight line, so I'm constantly looking at the kayaker, and he's constantly trying to keep me on track, but also uh, try not to bump into me um, and, uh, you know, keep himself going. So, And then he's following the safety crew ahead. Uh, they're kind of like being the navigating boat. So there's a lot of moving parts to this, but somehow we pulled it off. Daniel's nobody, in Nobody joins. getting sleep. Yeah, that's amazing. Completing the Lake Erie Challenge over the weekend, 26.6K in the water in a little over nine hours. What was it like to get out of the water after nine hours? Oh, I was I was dizzy. Um, I was cold, very cold. And, uh, yeah, like I almost fell down a couple times. <laughs> um, did, did you use a wetsuit or anything like that? No, I did not. If you had to do it again, wetsuit? Um, no, no. I think it just made it that much more special. Okay. That's phenomenal. So let's look at, at some points in this. You have to eat. You have to fuel your body over nine hours. How did you do that? So approximately every 30 minutes we would stop to fuel and I would tread water. I can't touch the boat or anything. So they would toss me. Um, I had a water bottle for my liquids. So either um, an amino acids kind of mixed drink or Gatorade or just simply water. And then I had another water bottle so that my solids wouldn't get uh, wet, uh, like cliff bars and just like things like caffeinated chocolate to keep my sugar levels up. And um, I would just ingest that and then continue on. <laughs> so every half hour we would stop, tread water, and then continue on. That's a tough transition when you start treading water, especially I'm sure when you're a long way into this. How tough was it to go from the, okay, I've just finished my cliff bar, now back to the swimming? It, it was tough. It was definitely tough. And then on top of that, um, especially at night when it was really, really choppy, uh, like I couldn't tell where the waves were coming from. So when I come to breathe, I would sometimes get a face full of water and sometimes I'd be able to spit it out and other times I'd just swallow it. So between all the Lake Erie water and all the different foods I was eating and drinks, my stomach was not too happy by the end of it. Yeah, no doubt. But, but you did it. You've accomplished this. What has recovery from this been like? Uh, you know, today's actually the worst. Yesterday, I was, I don't know if it's because of the emotions, I was still okay. But today, it's really hit me. <laughs> I'm exhausted today. Well, we won't hold you too much longer. When do you return to work? Today. I'm, not, well, I'm on my prep period right now. No, um, you're kidding. You, you're back at work today. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the kids that you teach, the students you teach, are they well aware of what you have done? Yeah, some of them saw it on uh, on like their Facebook uh, pages and all that kind of stuff. So it was kind of cool, and they asked me questions today. What is uh, what's give us an example of some of the questions that you get asked by students? Like, why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can I can see that. How do you answer that? I mean, you're showing them, hey, this this is what it takes to be an adult. Congratulations on behalf of the rest of us. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're talking with Daniel Zinn, who has completed the Lake Erie Challenge. Now, sometimes uh, athletes will get through something and say, you know what, uh, that was fun. Now, what next mountain can I climb? Uh, any idea on any next mountain, or is this the one that you put down in your own history books? Um, I have some ideas. Um, 
uh, floating around in my head. I don't want to say anything right now just because I, I want to think about it for a while, but it's, it's funny when you finish it. Like, it's just like, wow, like it's crazy what my body can do for me and what can I do now? Um, it's kind of the thoughts that run through your, your head, like, like a playground out there, right? So you just want to do more stuff. All right. Well, thank you for choosing the profession of teacher because uh, you are an inspiration, and it's great to see you being that kind of an inspiration front and center in front of a lot of individuals who will one day run our world. Daniel, thank you for helping to run our world how you do right now. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. Daniel Zinn. That's wild. Why? You go to breathe. Swimming involves breathing. And you get hit by a face uh, full of wave. And next thing you know, you're swallowing Lake Erie water and 26.6K, a little over nine hours, made it through. And who knows what comes next? We'll keep tabs on Daniel Zinn. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 